Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. So exciting to be here with you tonight. I love looking at the Word and opening it together. It's always such a privilege to be able to do that. Um, We're going to start out in a place that might seem like it's unrelated to our topic, but trust me, it is when we get to it. Um, Everything, if you're in our uh, Sunday school class, you know that everything relates back to baseball and sports. We have four sons. Three out of the four are avid baseball fans. They love it. One just comes along for the snacks, Um, (laughs) but we love it. How many of you are baseball fans out there? We have a lot. So you know about the important news that we just got a couple weeks ago about that we are going to have a season. How many of you are excited about that? That was in doubt. Um, But we now got the word. The owners and the players have an agreement, and so spring training is underway. We have regular season games that are coming in just a couple weeks. And I was thinking back, since spring training games are going on right now, and of course we have to watch them. They've been on our TV. Um, I was thinking back to a trip that my husband and I took a couple years ago, three years ago actually, um, to Arizona. It was his lifelong dream to see spring training, to see the brewers actually play spring training. So we went down for a week, and he had the entire week planned out. What games we were going to see, what stadiums we were going to go to. It was super exciting. And so one of the games was going to be the Dodgers versus the Brewers. And the big debate for the day was, where are we going to sit? Are we going to sit on the Brewer side or the Dodger side? And we ended up getting seats that were closer to the field on the Dodger side. And so we thought, what do we have to lose? We, don't, we didn't know any bad Dodgers fans, only bad Cubs fans. <laughs> so we thought we would be safe. No, I'm just kidding. We thought we would be safe. So we sat down enjoying the sunlight. The game began. And what happens? We have two Dodgers fans that come. They don't sit in the section next to us or over further, they sit right in front of us. And we could tell right away that something was up with them. They began, as the Brewer players went up to bat, they began to disparage them. They would talk about their record and how they were inflated, and even people like Yelich, they would say, he's overrated, and just negative thing after negative thing. With each player, it felt like, and I don't know if this is true, but it felt like they went through the entire lineup because it went on more than one inning. And then, of course, they had nothing else better to do, and we were winning, so what would they do? They then had to interrupt the concentration of our players because they wanted them to not get hits. So they would make obnoxious noises to try to break their concentration. They would yell insults. Um, And, you know, they did this over and over. I'm thankful to say that we ended up winning, and what they did didn't work, yay. (laughs) But I found myself reacting to what they did. I was first really annoyed. Jamie and I exchanged the eye roll, you know, like, oh, can you believe this? You know, the nonverbal eye roll that you do. And then I found myself being the most enthusiastic Brewers fan that I have ever been. I clapped more, I cheered more in that game than I ever have. Every pitch, every catch, every run, I was cheering, not necessarily just for the team. I was cheering to say, ha ha, (laughs) what you're doing didn't work, see? (laughs) And I was actually secretly hoping that another Brewers fan would come over, one that was snarkier than we were, and say, put him in his place, but that didn't happen. 
But you know, this reaction that I had that came out of me, I didn't have to think about what I did. I didn't have to contemplate this. This just came out of me. Um, we call this responding in kind. And so this works like this. If someone says something nice to me, I respond with something nice. If someone does something generous to me, I do something generous back. And the same thing is true with negative things. If they're irritating, annoying, hurtful, um, offensive, right? We respond in kind to that. We don't have to try really hard. It's just part of our fallen nature, right? Everybody does it, so we just think that it's normal, except that this is the exact behavior that Jesus is going to challenge us on in this next section in the Sermon on the Plain. Um, this section is lovingly called Love Your Enemies. And I actually I didn't say this this morning, but when I got assigned this, I wondered if this was a message from Pastor Dan and Mandy about me, <laughs> loving your enemies. Um, but, you know, as we think about this and um, responding in kind and, and looking at what Jesus had to say, we know that last week with the blessings and the woes that Jesus talked to them about how they lived and how they were supposed to live and how it looked different in his kingdom. And this time, he's going to take it up a notch and he's going to say it's not just about how you live but it's about how you treat people and specifically how you treat your enemies those that you don't like and that don't like you and um and so as we get into this i just before we do that the name of this message is um the who the what and the why of radical love in jesus's upside down kingdom and so just before we start i wanted to pray that god would open our hearts uh, for what he has to say to us today so let's pray Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word, that we can open your word together, Lord, that we can study it together, Lord, that we can, um, we can read it and let it get inside of us and change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray for this message tonight, Lord, that you would work in each one of our hearts. Help us to realize that this message is not for our neighbor or someone that's not here, but Lord, this is for each one of Jesus's followers, which is all of us in this room. Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts, Lord, deposit something into us that challenges us to grow in our walk with you and in our love for our enemies. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. And so now we're going to read the passage, this section, um, which begins in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. So let's read it together. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, and I love that Jesus starts out because like that, if you're willing to listen, because I think what he's about to say, people might tune him out. So he starts that way. He says, I say, love your enemies. And in my translation, there's an exclamation point there. This is some, not something that Jesus was suggesting. This is something that he was really passionate about us doing. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone um, slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. So here, Jesus is challenging our responding in kind. And then he continues. He says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, should, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a 
full return. Love your enemies, again, exclamation point. Do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, who is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your heavenly Father is compassionate. And as I read this, I, I really, I, I love to picture this scene of him standing on the plane teaching his disciples, and I would really love to be able to see their expressions. What were the disciples, what did they look like? What were their facial expressions? Were their mouths dropped open like, you know, did they exchange looks with each other in little whispers? Do you think he really meant that? What did, what did he mean by that? You know, what were they thinking? What was going through their mind? I'd love to ask them. I guess we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to actually ask them that. But we have to understand just how historic this teaching is. Um, it's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. No one in the history of the world had taught something like this. In Israel, the rabbis had taught that you should love your neighbor. That came way back in the beginning. And they haggled over that definition all the way through history. Who is our neighbor? Who is not our neighbor? Who do we have to love? Who don't we have to care about? Um, they even asked Jesus that in Luke. You'll see that later on. And so, um, but this is something that was different. It was counter-cultural. It went against what they were taught and what they knew. It was also counterintuitive to them. Just like for us, they're used to responding in kind. That makes sense to them. That feels right. This does not feel right. Loving your enemies does not feel normal, does not feel like something we should do. And so I'm sure that they were taken aback. And probably the first question that they asked themselves, themselves is, who is my enemy? And that's the who that we're going to talk about tonight. Now, for the Israelites, they had a lot of who's, right? Um, they had the Romans. They didn't like being under Roman rule. They had the Samaritans, which they had a 700-year rivalry with. Um, and I think even amongst the disciples, looking at the diverse group that they had, because we have Matthew, the tax collector. We have Simon, the zealot. They are natural enemies. They did not like each other. So I wonder if they were even looking at each other thinking, I have an enemy standing next to me or right over there. Um, and then the question for us is, you know, who is our enemy? And if we look at Jesus's um, definition here, uh, the Greek word is ethros, and it means this is actually a military term um, for one that is antagonistic to another, especially seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound. And so, you know, as we think about this definition in our lives, I think there are a lot of people um, that can fit this definition, from those that are just acquaintances all the way to those that we see on a regular basis. Um, think about some of the people that would fall into the category of acquaintances. I think about um, this Dodgers fan. He was my enemy in the moment, right? I think about people who cut me off in traffic. How many of you don't like that. Um, I think about um, a Facebook friend, someone that's an acquaintance maybe from high school who has become a Facebook troll and, you know, comments on your posts, comments on your friend's posts just to make trouble, right? Those can be your enemies. And then we, when we get over to the other spectrum of people that we come in contact with um, quite often, that we see quite often, this could be a coworker, maybe who someone did not like you from the start for whatever reason and has talked bad about you to your coworkers and you've lost friends. Maybe they've said um, things that are not true about you to your supervisors and so you've gotten written up and you've had to go in and talk to your bosses and maybe you even have lost your job. I've actually talked to a woman that that happened to this this morning. And so these things can happen. Or it could be um, an ex-wife or an ex-husband 
right, that makes co-parenting so difficult. Every conversation that you have is hostile. You don't like them, they don't like you, right? And so it can fall anywhere on the spectrum, but I think it's really important for us to realize that we all have enemies. And our enemies are not people that are in another country, although those could be considered our enemies. The enemies that Jesus is talking about are the ones that are in our lives now. And so what I really want you to do at the beginning of this is to think about people that you would consider your enemies. Now, we don't want you to share that at the table. We're not going to discuss our enemies and talk about them. Uh, but I think it's really important for us to have that at the forefront of our mind as we look at what Jesus wants us to do with our enemies. And so I'd love for you to do that um, as we're going through this. So that is the who. Who are our enemies? Then we get to the what. What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to love our enemies. And I think that this word love can be really confusing for us because in English, we can love a lot of different things. We have one word that means love with, in different relationships and with different people. For example, I love coffee. Anyone that knows me, I love coffee. I love pasta. I love candy. I love my husband. I love God. I love my sons. I love the brewers, right? These are all different types of love, right? Different ways to love, and yet we only have one word that describes it. So when we, see, when we hear that Jesus wants us to love, I think we can get confused as to what type of love does he want me to show to my enemies. And thankfully, the Greek language is not like English. They have many words that mean love. And in this case, Jesus is talking about agape love. And if you've been in church a while, you might even know this definition. This is God's love for us. Agape is the highest kind of love. It is the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love that is always motivated by seeking the best for others. This is God's love for us. When we hear verses like John 3:16, it's for God so agaped us that he did something. He sent his one and only son to die for us. This is that type of love. And um, we can, it might be hard for us to wrap our minds around what that looks like. And I love that he gave us a little snapshot of what that looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. And take a listen to what this love looks like in action. It's love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Ouch. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is how God loves us. And I think when we hear that, we're in awe of that. Isn't that great that God loves us in this way? And then we can be simultaneously overwhelmed by the fact that this is how God wants us to love not the people in our lives that we love, but the people that we don't like, our enemies. And this can feel overwhelming. And I think it's important to realize that God does not say, okay, I want you to agape your enemies. Here, go do it. You can do it. I have faith in you. No, that's not what he does at all. He says, you know what, as you step in, as you surrender to what I have called you to do and you're obedient, I'm going to help you. Uh, Romans 5.5 5 talks about how God pours his agape love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And it's through him doing that that then he's able to bring that out to love our enemies. Um, also important to note that God does not want us to love the things that our enemies do. 
They're very hurtful. They're bad. He's not asking us to love that. He's asking us to apply this love to the person. And what he's going to do is he's not going to give us something to feel. Often in English, we think of love as a feeling. But Jesus is going to give us here four actions that we can take to love our enemies. And this is going to put us on a new path. See, we've always been on this path of responding in kind over and over and over. And God is saying, Jesus is saying here, I'm going to take you from over here, I'm going to move you over here, and you're going to go on a completely new path. And you're going to follow these steps. And while you're doing that, I'm going to change your heart toward that person. And so what I have done is I've taken these four things and putting it, put them in an acronym so that we can easily remember and kind of understand them. And the acronym spells out love, L-O-V-E. And so we're going to take a look at each one of these. So the L is look for ways to do good to those who hate you. Don't we just love that? We should cheer for that. Look for ways to do good to those who hate you. I don't even like saying that. <laughs> um, you know, when we think about this, we think, you know what, that person does not deserve to have something, me do something good to them. They need to do something good to me. They've hurt me, right? That's our immediate response. I think about um, a college roommate that I had. Uh, we were best friends. We roomed together for two years, best friends for about a year and a half. We had a discussion at one point um, where we sh she shared some things and I shared what I thought about a relationship in her life and she didn't like uh, what I said and so she stopped talking to me. And she wouldn't talk to me again. And so we had to live in the same room together for two months until the school was done without her talking to me. And it was really difficult to live like that every day. And initially, of course, I was like, you know, who does she think she is? And you're mad and you're mulling this over in your head. And then as I began to pray about it, God brought me to this. And he said, I want you to do something good for her. And I'm like, what good things? I have no idea what I should do. She should do something good for me. Um, and so, but God began, as I prayed, God began to show me some things that I could do, little things, things that would make her life better. And so I began with things like cleaning the bathroom, even when it was her turn. Um, I made sure that the room was clean. You know, I, when I was at the store and I knew what snacks she liked, I would even get them and put them on her desk. And sometimes she would eat them and sometimes I would see them in the garbage. Um, but, you know, this was difficult, but I continued to love her by doing something good. And God was so faithful in that to give me ideas all the time. And so when we step forward and do this, he's going to give you what you need to do um, if we're looking for good things to do for our enemies. And then the O, the next one, number two is O, offer blessings or praise to those who curse you. And I think this is another one that can be difficult to. It's often difficult to even think of something good about your enemy and not alone to say it to them or about them. And so I think this takes prayer as well and time, making a list ahead of time so you have something good to say. In Proverbs uh, 18.21, it talks about how we have the power of life and death in our tongue. And so Jesus is asking us here to bring life to those people. And then in Ephesians 4.29, Paul tells us to let everything you say be good, helpful, and encouraging. This is what Jesus wants us to do, to say things that are good, helpful, and encouraging to that person. And so like I said, this is something that you need to pray about and make a list ahead of time. And so that when you find yourself in that position where you can say something good, you have something good to say. Amen? And then number three is V, vocalize your prayers for those who hurt you. 
And for this one, you know, when I initially thought of this, I'm like, oh, this is the best one. We get to pray bad things for those that hurt us. We can pray judgment, right? We can pray that nothing good goes right in their, or nothing goes right in their life. We can pray that they'll know that God's going to show them just how much they hurt us. Do you think that's what Jesus is saying here? No, that's not what he's saying at all. In fact, it's the opposite. He wants us to pray good things for their life. And this can be hard as well because we're like, I don't really want good things to happen to them, God. Um, but we need to take a step back and say, you know, do they know Christ? If not, we pray for their salvation. We pray that God will bless them. We pray that God will give them grace, that he, the grace that he has shown us. Um, and just like God, he always gives us those real-life examples that we can share. And so just this week, I had a, I had a, um, a situation where I got to do just this. Um, how many of you went to the Revive Women's Conference? some that went. Um, Melinda Henderson, our speaker, she had a merch table there, and some of the transactions that she did at the merch table were not able to go through because she didn't have the credit card information that she needed. And so she emailed me and she said, hey, do you mind reaching out to these people um, to get this information, and that way I can, you know, I can make these transactions go through. And so I reached out to the church, and I got the numbers, and I called and left really nice messages, and most of the people called me back. Uh, but one particular woman did not get my message. I think that she has a new number, and someone else now has that number because he got my message, and he didn't like my message very much. In fact, he called back, and I was laughing because I heard it in the car. I listened to this message in the car with my phone plugged into the speaker, so I got to hear this on loud volume. Um, but he called and was very angry about me leaving this message and said really hateful hurtful, offensive, profane things um, in this message, so much so that I can't even tell you what was in it. And my initial response is, of course, responding in kind. So I'm like, who does he think he is? I left this message. Why didn't he just ignore it? That's what I would have done. And then God said, hey, what are you teaching about this week? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. And so as I began to pray for him, I began to think about uh, what was going on in his life that would have caused him to react this way? You know, what hurt could have been there? Or possibly, I mean, based on the um, message, maybe even layers of hurt that have been there for a long time, that he has taken all this anger and resentment and hurt, and he just vomited out on me. And so I began to pray for God to move in his life. And I probably will never see him. I hope to see him in heaven. Um, but I'm just believing that God is going to move in his life. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to love our enemies by praying good things for them, praying that whatever's going on inside of them that has caused them to do what they're doing would be healed by him. And I had a thought this afternoon as I was thinking about it. You know, I may be the only person that is praying for this man. You know, there's probably, he's probably caused a lot of hurt in his life by what, you know, what is going on, but I may be the only person that is praying for him. And the same thing can be true for you. You may be the only person that prays for the enemy in your life. And that's a sobering thought and kind of an exciting thought at the same time to know that God can use your prayers and answer your prayers to heal that person. And so that's the V, vocalize your prayers for those that hurt you. And then the E is express attitudes and actions that exemplify how you want to be treated. When I say something wrong, when I make a mistake, when I'm rude to my children, <laughs> 
which doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but when it does, I can tell you why. I can give you the reasons behind. I was tired. Um, I was rushing, right? We always have reasons why we do things. We give ourselves grace. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt um, because we know why. But we don't often do that with people in our lives, right? We immediately judge them based on how they treat us, whether they're an acquaintance or someone that we see on a regular basis. And we really need to take a step back and say, we don't know fully what's going on in their life. And if I were in that spot and I did that, how would I want to be treated? And then Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to treat your enemy, that that needs to be the new standard for responding to your enemies. How would you want to be treated? And if you wouldn't want to be treated like that, you shouldn't be doing it. And so I think that's a great way to look at it. It's a difficult way to look at it, but that's a good standard that Jesus has given us. And so this is the what. So we've talked about the who, and we've talked about the what, and now we're going to talk about the why. Why would Jesus ask us to do something so difficult? And he really gives us two reasons here. Um, he says, then your reward in heaven will be very great. Don't you love Jesus that it's not just great? It's not a reward that's just great. It's very great. Um, and this is coming from heaven. And I think that's so, it's so exciting to think that Jesus knows how difficult this is and he's going to give us a very great reward in heaven. And while that's exciting because we can enjoy that reward uh, for eternity, right, it can also be hard because we may not see that reward here on earth. We may be doing all of these things and loving our enemy and they may be treating us exactly the same way that they were. And so we see nothing from it and we may think, what am I doing this for, right? We have to remember and come back to that we have, that he's going to reward us, and that reward may be only seen in heaven. But I also think the reward with that is that he clears out our heart and he heals our heart. You know, for me, every time that I've, God has called me to love my enemy, every time I found myself with an enemy in my life, and I've stepped forward and I've prayed for them, and I've loved them with my words and with uh, good deeds. Uh, God has worked in my heart, and he's untangled the anger and resentment and the bitterness that has grown and grown deep roots inside. And so he untangles that, and he frees you from the enemy's hold so that you can live the way he wants you to. And I don't know how he does that, but I'm always amazed at how he changes my heart and how he heals those wounds and how by the end, it may take a really long time, um, but how I feel different about that person after praying for them and after loving them in that way. So that's the first one. The second one is, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And we saw Jesus live this out through his whole life, didn't we? Or don't we? You know, we see him loving his enemies all the way through the Gospels until he's dying on the cross. Even his last breath, you know, when he's dying for the people that are right in front of him, they're hurling insults at him. And what did he say? Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So he loved his enemies, and he's calling us to do that. And when we do that, we get to reflect his character to a world that desperately needs it. You know, they don't see this. When, the, when someone in the world um, does something wrong, they get that someone else responds in kind. That's what they're expecting. They're not expecting someone to respond with love. And that's how we make an eternal difference in their life and in the lives of the people that are watching us do that, right? And we think about in history, the people that have made the biggest impact are the people who have lived this consistently. I think of Corrie ten Boom. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., 
And I was recently reading about him, and I have a picture. I think we have a picture up there. Um, And I just thought the story behind this, and I have a quote to read in closing for this as well. But um, with this picture, what happened, the background behind this is this was in 1963, and someone had come the night before this picture was taken and burned a cross on Martin Luther King's lawn. And so the next morning, uh, he looks out the window, and he sees his entire lawn is just filled with reporters. They're waiting to see how he's going to respond. They want to record his response to this. And so he said he put on his best suit, and he came out, and you can see his little child next to him who's so precious, and he picks up this charred cross, and he doesn't say, I can't believe they did this again, or condemning the people that did it. He doesn't even say anything bad about them. He prays for them. He says, Lord, I pray that you would give favor and blessing to the people who did this. And that was recorded by all the reporters that day. Um, They're not expecting to see that. And yet this is how he lived out what Jesus is saying here. And as we look in his book, and I wanted to close with this quote. I think it's so great. It's from his book, The Strength of Love. And this is what he said. The ultimate weakness of violent retaliation is that it is a descending spiral, beginning the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you may not murder the hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, and so it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And I love that. You know, when we think about, when I think about all the times that I responded in kind, thinking that I was accomplishing something, thinking that I was getting back at someone and putting them in their place, you know, I wasn't doing any good. You know, I was just adding more hate to the hate, more evil to the evil, more dark to a night that's already dark. The only way we can make a difference is through God's love. That's the only way we can do it. And so I want to challenge you tonight. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But I want to challenge you to put this into action tonight, to think um, of one of the people that you thought of at the beginning, one of the people that you would consider your enemies, and begin to love them with the steps that Jesus gave us. And I think the reason I'm telling you to do it right away, either tonight or tomorrow, is that it's super easy for us to put this off and to say, you know what, we can even make it very Christian. I'm going to pray about it for a little while, and then I'll start it, right? That sounds super spiritual. Um, but the truth is, there's, we're never going to want to do this, right? We're never going to wake up one day and say, I get to love my enemies today. Woo-hoo! You know, we're never going to feel like that. We're never going to want to do this. And so we just need to surrender and obey what Christ has said. And when we do that, he's going to meet us in that. And he's going to love us through that. He's going to heal our hearts. And we're going to begin to make that eternal difference in his upside-down kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this message. Although it is such a difficult message and such a challenge to us, Lord, we know this is exactly what you want us to do. You lived this out. You modeled this for us, Lord. I pray that as we step in, as we surrender to what you've taught us tonight, Lord, as we obey 
the L-O-V-E tonight, Lord, I pray that you would meet us there, Lord, that you would change our hearts. Give us the courage to be able to do what you've called us to do, Lord. Give us the ability, those ideas of things to do that are good and things to say that are good, Lord. I pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord, move in the hearts of our enemies, Lord, and I pray that you would change us from the inside out, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for all that you've done, and we ask this in your precious name. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.